Hi, everybody. Welcome to this Board Game Life episode number 30, titled The Grecian Games Formula. The show is recorded on Wednesday, January 22nd, 2014. In the show, we'll be talking about a bunch of games, including Archon, Glory, and Machination, Among the Stars, Uno Attack, Straw, A Study in Emerald. We'll be going into our 20 Shows Ago segment and uh, talking about some games that we talked way back uh, in May 2012 from episode number 10. So uh, let's get on with the show. everyone welcome back to another episode of this board game life i'm rob your host for the show i'm really glad that uh, you're back uh, once again now this is going to be the first show of the year the first show of 2014 we just recently celebrated new year's about three weeks ago at least as of uh, this recording here so i just want to wish everybody a happy new year uh, hope you have a happy healthy and fun new year full of lots of gaming whether it's uh, video games for uh, this Xbox Life listeners or the uh, board games for the board game life uh, listeners. I just hope it's a, it's a wonderful year for you, and I hope you're sticking to your resolutions. <laughs> uh, this is the beginning of my re- one of my resolutions for the year, and that's going to be to record this show every other Wednesday on a consistent basis. So no cheating going every, you know, every six weeks or whatnot sometimes a little bit longer in this uh, recording schedule. Uh, I'm going to be sticking to a two-week one. Plus, it's actually a lot easier to do these shows more frequently because when you do a recording and it kind of um, goes out for a long time from the last one, you're kind of starting over. You're kind of trying to get back in the groove of things, doing show notes and, and so forth, getting the equipment all set up and doing the editing. So it, it'll actually probably be a lot easier, at least for my sanity, to uh, do these on a more regular basis. Plus, hey, then it's uh, more content for everyone to uh, enjoy out there as well. Uh, so other than that, uh, let's kind of get rolling with the show. also want to mention that uh, make sure to check out the This Board Game Life YouTube channel and uh, follow This Board Game Life on Twitter. So YouTube, it's uh, This Board Game Life. Uh, youtube.com slash the sport game life and for twitter it's uh where's it at uh, t board game life so the letter t then the word board game life all all one word uh, this would not fit so we had to go uh, t board game life before we get on with the show there is a little quick discussion topic that i want to discuss and that's randomness in board games the other day i had a discussion with a buddy of mine uh, regarding board games and randomness and how uh, he said that it can really ruin games and so forth. And uh, afterwards, I got a, I had, I started thinking about it a little bit. If you look at randomness, randomness is all around us. It's part of our everyday lives. Uh, it's reality. For, for example, like in the mornings when you're driving into work, uh, like here in Chicago, an average commute's probably an hour, hour and a half or so. Hopefully, wherever you're at, it's not as long. But uh, let's say it takes you an hour and a half to get into work. There are so many, so many different events that could be perceived as random. Granted, they're not random with infinite possibilities, but they're random 
within uh, a certain range of uh, possibilities that uh, these things can affect you uh, positively and negatively in, in so many different ways. Like uh, using that commute, uh, there could be really bad traffic, your car could break down, your, uh, you could have trouble finding parking. There, there's so many different things that could affect you. And it changes on a day-to-day basis. Like one day it takes you an hour and a half, the next day it takes you two hours. And then it's raining the, the following day. And then you, uh, you get a flat tire. There's just so many things that could affect you. This is sort of like the random factor in a game. Yeah, a, your, your whole engine that you're building to produce your resources, it could be just clobbered by a dice roll or a card draw. Yeah, that kind of stinks, but that kind of stuff happens. Uh, if you had an actual production line machine in a factory for some reason, let's say that was churning out something, that could break down. It could stop you in your tracks, and you have no control of whether it breaks down or not. Or at least, well, you could always fix it, but hey, uh, that's what you have to do in the game anyway. If you get clobbered, you have to kind of fix your engine to get back on track. So I don't know if randomness is really a bad thing. I think it's something that really kind of is representative of the real world. It gives those unforeseen uh, events to happen and, and you have to account for them. That is part of the game. So that when that unforeseen event, that bad die roll or, or whatnot happens, you have to recover from it. I, I, that's really part of the game. And there's some people out there that just can't handle randomness at all where they have absolutely no tolerance for it. And uh, this is uh, kind of like how my buddy is. And I really wonder if there there lies some kind of control issues where uh, some people really need to control things. And if they aren't able to control them, that puts them at, that gives them a sense of unease. So um, I'd like to see what everybody thinks about randomness and uh, if they can actually see the, the, the good part of it, where it's representative of, of the real world. Now, there could be a possibility of some games where the randomness just clobbers you and there's absolutely no way to recover. Well, that's uh, representative of the real world, real world also. Um, but hopefully it doesn't happen and it doesn't happen all the time. Now... There now, okay. So randomness is also usually something that you do, meaning a die roll, card draw, or, or whatnot. If you get the same kind of event, but it comes from another player, isn't that perceived a little bit differently? So, in other words, uh, if you do a dice roll and that clobbers your engine that you're using to build your resources. That's where everybody says randomness, the game's broken, blah, 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 blah. But if somebody else does that to you, I don't think it's really perceived as random. So uh, that's kind of just an interesting thing I was thinking about right now where, so random is when you do it and it happens, but if somebody else does it, it's more offensive. Hmm. I guess there's just something to think about. So um, I'd be interested to see what you hear about. I know this is or what you think about it. Follow up on uh, Twitter or the comments or the guild and let me know what you think on episode 30 here.
So the first game that I want to talk about today is Archon Glory and Machination. This uh, was a game that was released in 2013 by Artipia Games uh, that was designed by Nicholas Sakaloglau and Sotirios Tantalas. hope I got your names right. Uh, it's for two to four players, plays in about 90 minutes, and is for ages 10 and up. It's a board game that has a, a combination of a bunch of different mechanisms. Like uh, It's got like a card. Um, I don't know if you'd really call it like deck building, but uh, some card management uh, in addition to worker placement. And it really, really, really reminds me of Lords of Waterdeep. Uh, very much so. And it's like Lords of Waterdeep Plus. So if you enjoy Lords of Waterdeep, you'll probably like this one as well. Uh, although it's a heavier game, uh, definitely more of a gamer's game. So if uh, Lords of Waterdeep is, uh, in terms of heaviness, is just your style, um, it might you might take a, a little bit of time just to get used to this game here. Now, what is this game about? Uh, basically, you've got uh, your players are different archons and uh, everyone's trying to win uh, the favor of the king of the kingdom of Cardis. That kind of reminds me of Doctor Who uh, whenever I say that, Cardis, Cardis, Cardis. Anyway, uh, they use their influence on uh, courtiers and magisters across uh, three different seasons, kind of like three years. That's the progression of the game. Now, uh, the components of the game are actually really, really nice. Uh, Artipia has done a pretty nice job with this game, uh, like some of their other games. And the board is massive. It is a very large board. Uh, it's got a lot of folds in it to fit it into the box, which is it's one of those uh, normal uh, Aaliyah-style boxes that are very common. Uh, not the big square ones like Ticket to Ride, but those smaller like Castles of Burgundy and so forth. Uh, the colors on the board are kind of vibrant. Um, and initially, it's almost like too much. Uh, they're very, it's very vibrant, very, very colorful. And it's very distracting at first when you're trying to play this game. Uh, it's pretty colorblind friendly. I don't remember having any issues because I am colorblind. So I'm very sensitive to that kind of stuff in terms of the games because... Uh, if you've got a uh, colorblind issue in a game, it can really detract and almost make the game unplayable or unfun. Unfun, is that a word? Not fun. That sounds better. The game is pretty easy to pick up. Uh, you're basically uh, playing cards, which allow you to place people onto the board. There's different uh, kinds of cards, which depict uh, different kinds of uh, uh, magisters or magistrates, whatever you want to call them. Uh, like there's a tax collector and, and so forth uh, that you're playing down there. And then uh, these let you do different things. So, for example, if you put a tax collector down on a particular spot, then everybody has to pay uh, you money when they go into that house or that zone, whatever you want to call it, that area for resources. So you get a little bit of a benefit from that. And uh, if you play your... Um, I believe it's a magister's cards. If you play those down to the board in some areas where you might need two people, uh, it lets you just put one down. 
Uh, so uh, the the cards give you they they can give you certain advantages depending on when and where you place them. Now you will have a, de a deck of cards and you do have to split them up. So you can only use a certain amount of them in like the first half of, of I guess, the season or the round, whatever you want to call it. And then uh, the other half you would play in the second half. So you kind of have to think wisely, like, what do I want to do? What do I want to do up front? What do I want to do later? And then uh, so that gives you a little bit of uh, decision making there in addition to uh, there's only a certain amount of spots on the board and then you need to grab that spot before your opponent does. And there's also one a card as well that is kind of neat where when you play this uh, particular Magister, then you can place your worker on a spot that's totally full. So that is really nice, really, really nice to have uh, if you get in a jam sometimes and if, if somebody goes for a particular resource or money or whatnot. So um, uh, I really did enjoy this game. I really liked it a lot. Uh, it's something that kind of makes me wish I, I jumped on the game when it was out on its Kickstarter. Now, the one downside to Artipia's games is that they seem to be kind of difficult to find here in the United States. If you want it, you really need to get in on a Kickstarter or you need to get it from Artipia Direct. So you do have to basically deal with shipping from Greece uh, depending on uh, you know what that is that can make it kind of expensive for you another thing you could do is if you're looking for their games uh, is to wait for their next Kickstarter because they seem to bundle their games together so for example whatever the next Kickstarter is uh, they'll probably have something where hey you know you get uh, actually their next one I believe is um, among the stars Kickstarter but uh, let's say you get in on that, they might have a certain level where, hey, you get this Kickstarter, uh, whatever it is, and then you'll get a copy of this other game as well. So being that the Kickstarter games usually have shipping deals, uh, you can kind of just glom in there and, and get the game thrown, thrown in extra or get uh, discount shipping or whatnot. So anyway... Uh, that's kind of a con for uh, this game, at least. But uh, and another thing is uh, real estate. The game takes up a lot of real estate. The board is rather large, so uh, it's not something that you're going to be playing anytime soon on a tray table on an airplane, but that's okay. That stuff moves around too much on there anyway. But uh, I, I did enjoy the game. I definitely would recommend it. Hey, if you like Lords of Waterdeep, do yourself a favor. Give this game a try, at least. Uh, like I said, it might be kind of hard to find to buy unless you uh, do mail order direct or do the Kickstarter route. But if you're a Euro fan, a Waterdeep fan, you'll probably really enjoy this game. So uh, this one gets a pretty big thumbs up from me. Uh, that was Archon, Glory, and Machination. Then the next game here is another game by Artipia Games. It's Among the Stars. This game was released the year prior in 2012 also on uh, Kickstarter, I believe. And this was designed by Vangelis Bagiartakis. It uh, plays uh, two to four people in about 30 minutes or so, ages 12 and up. Now, uh, what kind of game is this? This is uh, a, a card game. A card game that includes drafting and kind of like a, like a tile 
slash card placement element. And a quick rundown of this guy here is that you're looking to build, you're one of a bunch of different races, you're looking to build the best space station in the galaxy. All the different races are in a competition to build the biggest, best one, and the one that has the biggest, best space station wins. Box type and so forth is just like uh, the other Artipia games, so it's your standard uh, Aaliyah-style box. Card quality is, is pretty nice. Uh, one thing that I kind of have an issue with, and this is really personal preference, my issue is that these are square cards, and I I really don't like square cards very much. However, because this kind of is like a tile placement game, it really needs these square cards. So I'm kind of not paying too much attention to my dislike for the cards, at least when I play this game. And uh, another thing I did want to mention was the sleeves for this are, um, the cards are a little bit of a different size than most square cards. So your typical sleeves that you find uh, don't fit very well. And you kind of need to go to Artipia to get their own sleeves, which they usually do wind up bundling with most of their games, at least as an option. So if you're going to get in on this on a Kickstarter or something like that in the future, because uh, the same thing applies to this as Archon, where the games are kind of tough to find unless you go direct or maybe get in on a Kickstarter. If you like sleeves, on your cards, you might want to get their sleeves as part of the Kickstarter and save yourself some shipping costs in the future when uh, your local sleeves don't fit very well. Uh, anyway, uh, the rules are pretty nice on the game. Uh, they describe the game fairly well. There's a little bit of a story uh, in the rules that kind of uh, gives some back history to how the whole um, space station building thing got started. So... Thumbs up on the rule book. Gameplay is essentially you're you're playing across four years, so each round uh, of the game is is a year, and players start off by having a deck of cards where they'll draft uh, six cards from it. Basically, you have a, a stack of six cards. You pick one, pass to the left, and so forth up until you have your your full hand of cards. And then next turn changes direction. That's your typical drafting thing. The cards are different components of the uh, space station. You'll have council rooms. You'll have military cards. You'll have uh, restaurants, I believe. There's it's a whole bunch of different things. And what's neat about this game is that uh, you'll have a central starting location. And the starting location will be a power plant of sorts, a power reactor. And you're placing all of your cards within two spaces of a reactor and the cards interact with each other uh, at times, meaning that you might score certain points if it's uh, close to another card. Uh, if, uh, let's say if it's the card that's the furthest away from the reactors uh, or from the main reactor, they might score you points. Uh, if it's touching four other cards that might released orthogonally that uh, will give you benefits and so forth. So anyway, there's the, these cards interact with each other and how you lay them out on to the table in front of you 
really affects your score at the end of the game. And this is really neat to have the different interactions with the cards. So, for example, one card might uh, not work well next to this military card, but it'll be perfect if I can get it way over here on the side by itself and put some similar cards next to it. So you really kind of have to think about where you're going to be placing these things. So this is like the like the tile placement aspect of it because they are square cards and you're placing them next to each other and building out. And then after you get two spaces away, you have to put another reactor down, which you have to purchase. And uh, you do have to be very considerate of where I can place my cards. Is it too far? Do I have power nearby? And so forth. So uh, it, this game was a, a pleasant surprise. I, I really enjoyed this game. And uh, when I my first playthrough of the game, I think it was with four people, I had just gotten the game in the mail from Artipia. I, I had to go the direct route, unfortunately. I had just gotten it uh, the day before, and I hadn't gone through the rules. And then when I got over to my game group, they uh, one of the other people had brought it over, and I was like, yeah, fantastic. I can... Uh, <laughs> learn how to play the game a little bit easier than uh, how I was reading the rules the day before. But uh, I really did enjoy the game. It was it was a lot of fun. It's not your typical drafting game in terms of what we're normally used to. It's something that's a little different, kind of fresh. Uh, I did hear an analogy to Carcassonne a little bit. Uh, yeah, I can kind of see that, meaning that it's squares being placed down on the table. But... Uh, I definitely enjoy the game, definitely recommend it, had a lot of fun with it, and I did pick up the Ambassadors expansion. I haven't tried it yet, but I am looking forward to uh, what it adds to the game, because it adds a fair amount of, of new stuff in addition to extra characters and, and so forth, or extra players that uh, you can have in the game. Uh, another thing I did want to add is when you're placing your cards down, or your, your tile cards down, you're building your space station, sometimes you, you feel pretty clever, like, yeah, I got this thing going on over here. Yeah, I got these really good placement off on the side. So that's kind of a bonus. Uh, there uh, is one thing I can kind of knock this game on a little bit, and that's the colors. The, the colors are a little bit tough to discern sometimes. Uh, on the cards themselves, they do have uh, letters, like the red card is uh, military and it has an M on it. So that kind of helps you a little bit, but I, I just wish that they were more consistent with that everywhere because um, uh, you don't have those M symbols on everything. Uh, I wish they had it on the actual card text of the cards as opposed to just like the card designator in the top left. But uh, that's kind of a, a minor thing a little bit, but the game's still fun. Another thing I wanted to mention is that the point track is awful. It is horrible. It just uh, You get these little hex tiles, I believe, which are your uh, scoring markers, and you push these things around, and there's there really isn't a lot of room for it, and the score track kind of is all over the place. It's not a straight line. You're kind of going up and around, and... It, it it's just really awful. The uh, Ambassadors expansion does have a, a new score track, at least the Kickstarter version did. I, I hope the regular Ambassadors done, does, but that score track is so much better. It's a folding board. They did a much better job with that. Hopefully, if there's any subsequent reprints, I'll put that in the, in the main board. 
in the main box. But uh, oh yeah, overall, I enjoy this game a lot. I definitely would recommend it. It's a lot of fun. I just really wish it was much more easily accessible here in the, in the United States or just about anywhere, I guess. Uh, but uh, it is worth going, uh, you know, basically just going through and uh, going the extra mile and getting it direct uh, if uh, this kind of stuff is uh, your speed. So uh, that was uh, Among the Stars. Uh, definitely another game that gets a thumbs up. Now, here's uh, kind of an odd one a little bit, and that's uh, Uno Attack. So, yes, I'm talking about Uno. Yeah, that game. Yeah, you heard it right. Uno, the one that you played when you were little. So <laughs> Uno Attack came out in 1999. So this has been out for a while now. Uh, it was published by Mattel. Uh, who knows who designed it? This game's been around forever for eons. Maybe some cavemen designed it or something. But uh, it plays 2 to 10 people in about 10 to 15 minutes or so, ages 7 and up. Uh, it's a card game. And if you're listening to this, you probably know Uno, at least in some form. This is the game where you have all these different uh, numbered and colored cards that you play onto the table. So whatever you have on the deck on the table, let's say if you have a red five, you either play another red card on top of it, any number, any symbol, or you play a five and you can change it to another color. Now there's a number of different colors on there and they're okay for colorblind folks, at least they are for me. I don't have uh, any issues uh, with the colors in the game. Even the red and green, uh, for some reason I can discern them fairly well. But, uh, the difference with Uno Attack is that it comes with this large red, uh, I don't what to really call it, I'll, just, I'll call it a card shooter. So it's got a button up on top of it, and as part of the game, if you ever can't place a card, or if somebody attacks you and makes you use the, the card shooter, what you basically do is you press a button on the top of the card shooter, and this will do one of two things. It'll either make a beep of varying pitch, or it'll shoot out anywhere from about two to six or seven cards. And this is a pretty nice little twist to your typical boring game of Uno. It's kind of interesting because when you hit the button, if it beeps at you, it doesn't do anything. And the next time you hit it, it'll be a higher pitched beep. To kind of show you like, hey, it's it's building up something. <laughs> it's building up the tension. But, uh, and when you hear that beep that's really high-pitched, you know something's going to happen on the next button hit, probably. Now, this is a game that has probably been the most played game that we've had at the house for a long time, particularly over the holiday season. When uh, my son was at home, he's, he's five and a half, and he picked up this game pretty easily. Although, I got to say that he doesn't always like pressing the buttons. It's just something, sometimes he's like, you know, Daddy, you, you press the button for me, or Mom, press the button for me. But uh, he's been getting better with it, and uh, it's just kind of funny sometimes to see him picking up all the cards uh, that shoot out of this thing. <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, it's a... Uh, a nice little spin on uno and it definitely makes it more interesting than regular plain old uno the rule book is one sheet of paper that comes with the game you know typical uno rules on there 
uh, scoring pretty much the same as uh, regular Uno with a couple of minor changes in there. I guess that's uh, Uno Attack. It's a, a fun little game that you might want to check out. In terms of re replayability, it's kind of mindless. It's filler light, beyond light. Uh, most of the filler games that we're used to as gamers are a little more interesting than this, but at least with the card shooter, it it kind of bumps it up a little bit and makes it a little more interesting. So there is an appeal for that. And uh, it does use those uh, large, uh, what was it, I think C batteries. Not the, not the really big Ds, but it, use, it does use C batteries. So if you get this, you will need those. And uh, at least we don't seem to carry those in the house as much as we used to back in the day. But uh, you might want to check this game out. Uh, it's pretty fun. Yeah, so that is Uno Attack. The next game is also kind of a lighter game as well. It's Straw. Uh, this was originally released in 2006. The version that I played was the AEG version, which was fairly recent, I believe. It was designed by Richard James. Plays two to six people in about 20 minutes or so. Eight and up is the age range on it. It's a, a card game where you basically push your luck uh, there's a, a camel that you start off with on the table that has a weight limit of 50 on it. And then you're placing cards down on top of the camel, trying to bump the weight up to close to 50, but not push it over. The person that pushes it over uh, basically discards their cards and everybody else scores their cards. Uh, this gameplay proceeds up until the point where... Everybody's had basically a, a turn, I guess, to go first. So in a two-player game, you, you play this twice and then add up your scores. The person with the highest score wins. Uh, there's a couple of extra cards other than just plain numbers. The numbers are 1 to 10. And uh, the extra cards are copy, which copies the card that was there before. Uh, there's a reverse, which changes the order that uh, you go around the table and then there's a one one thousandth card. This one's used only when the value of all the cards is 50. So you essentially, it's like the straw that broke the camel's back. And in that case, you kind of reverse things. So you win. If you place that card, then you win um, the, the game and everybody else discards their cards with no points. So that's kind of a little bit of a reversal. There's also an Aladdin card where you kind of, it's kind of like a wild where you get to choose anywhere from uh, one to 10 for the points. And uh, there's also some negative cards. Uh, and when I say negative, negative numbers on there. Uh, the game comes in a tiny little tuck box, which is okay. Uh, I tend to find uh, I have trouble closing the, the tuck box a little bit just because of how the rules are laid in there but uh it's okay uh, for the most part uh the art on it it's nice nice middle eastern aladdin style theme i guess um so a uh, gameplay on it is is okay it's definitely filler type material i was really hoping to be able to play this with my son uh he's five and a half i don't know if he's he's not quite up there with the math yet necessary for this thing but uh i think i'm going to try in the next couple of months to see where he's at uh so 
Uh, that is a little bit earlier because it's rated for eight plus. And I'm going to try and see maybe like by the time he's six to see how well that goes. Yeah, the, the game is, uh, it's okay. It tends to start off slow every time that you play, meaning that when you're first putting cards on the camel, you're just kind of like getting rid of cards and trying to set up your hand towards the end of the game. And then once your score get once the camel score get up, gets up to uh, over 40, that's where the game actually gets interesting. I, I wish the whole game was kind of like this. This is where you're now trying to, you're, you're trying to get the cards uh, values up to 50, but not push it over yourself. You're trying to maintain your hand so at least you have um, some kind of out. So for example, you might want to have a negative card in there. So if it goes up to 50, you can drop it back down and whew, you're safe. But you also want to keep the high numbered cards as well because the high numbered cards are what score you points at the end of the game. So there's this little bit of like balance uh, over there in in the end of the game. It's just the beginning of it is kind of dull, just kind of yeah, card, 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 card. Oh, now it's a little interesting. Okay, I'm gonna push you over fifty. Um, yeah, it's uh, overall it's it's an okay game. Uh, it's something maybe more geared towards kids. You, know, you might want to try this with your school age children. Maybe help them learn math a little bit, at least addition and subtraction. Uh, with with the numbers kind of on the fly. And I actually found myself kind of having to think a little bit like, okay, what's, uh, you know, 40 or not, not 40. What's uh, 28 plus seven. Okay. Yeah. Too used to using calculators, I guess. But anyway, that's straw. It's an okay game in the beginning. It's kind of slow picks up towards the end. Uh, definitely filler type material. Um, yeah, that's straw. Now, the last game I want to talk about is A Study in Emerald. This is a Kickstarter game released in 2013 by Tree Frog Games, designed by Martin Wallace, and it plays two to five people. I played this with five people. The playtime on it is about an hour and a half or so, um, probably an hour and a half to two hours. Uh, ages 13 and up it's a board and card game it's a got a couple of different mechanisms to it uh, area control deck building um i don't know if you'd really call it worker placement no not worker placement I'll, I'll stick with area control and deck building and it's based on a short story by neil uh, gaiman gaiman uh, i'm not sure exactly which uh, pronunciation <laughs> is right for that and it's a, kind of a mishmash of zombies, Cthulhu, uh, late 19th century characters. Um, you basically uh, use your influence to draft cards and control cities on various parts of the board. The quality of the game is it's pretty darn good. It is colorblind friendly. Uh, the artwork on it is pretty nice, kind of like your typical Cthulhu style art. You know, you got your little tentacles going everywhere. A uh, very kind of subdued color, um, I guess typical of the uh, Cthulhu games. Let's see. So uh, what do I kind of think about this game? Uh, it kind of runs too long, too long. Maybe it was just the five-player game that I played. Well, let, let, well, before I get, get on with that, let me kind of explain uh, how the game plays because I, I didn't really go into that. So 
you've got this board that has a, a number of different cities uh, scattered all across it. The, the cities have little areas of control underneath them. And what you're looking to do is you're looking to place your pieces out uh, onto those different areas. And, and you have a hand of cards that you use to facilitate this. And you place your pieces out on the different areas. And then when everything is kind of enumerated at the end of the turn, the people that have the majority uh, in both these uh, uh, discs and uh, cubes combined, uh, the person that has the majority, they win that card for that city and then they can take it into their hand. Now the cities are connected by these paths. So once you are in a particular location, you can only go so far and you do have to pay uh, money to go to certain areas as well. And uh, further travels do cost more. But uh, yeah, you're looking to kind of... Um, uh, basically take over these cities and then you get, that's how you get the cards into your hand. Uh, there is an interesting way that this game kind of runs where there's two sides to the game. And in the beginning you choose a card that kind of, or choose a tile that shows you what side that you're on. And this remains hidden. So you really don't know what side people are on, but in the end of the game, when the game ends, the side with the lowest points, every person who's part of that team immediately loses. And then the remaining side, the person who has the highest points, is the winner. So that, that's kind of a, a weird thing there because uh, essentially... You could be doing great, but if the team member that you don't know that is on your team does really bad, you could just get knocked out of the game anyway and not have a chance of, of winning the game. And then the person who's sort of doing okay uh, might actually win just because they were on the other team that didn't get knocked out and they happened to have the more points than anybody else in there. So that's just kind of uh, an interesting uh spin on things at least i hadn't seen anything like that before in any other game but uh yeah there's this whole uh area control mechanism in the game uh there's uh player assassination where people are basically trying to take out uh certain characters of the game and um overall i, I didn't find the game very fun at all in fact uh probably about 15, 20 minutes into the game, I was just hoping and praying that the game would end uh, soon. Unfortunately, it didn't. It ran on for at least another hour, if not more. And when the game ended, there was a couple of us at the table that did not care for the game at all. Although I know that there's a lot of people that really do uh, like Martin Wallace games, they'll, they'll probably be fans of this game because uh, some of the mechanisms in the game are like typical Wallace. So... Um, yeah, you might want to check this thing out if, if you're a Wallace fan. If you're not a Wallace fan, I'd, I'd probably advise you to steer clear of this game. Now, when this game was out on Kickstarter, I kept looking at it. I, I Every other day, at least, I would look at it. and I'm, I kept trying to find a reason to buy this game, yet I could never seem to 
find one and I actually let it pass uh, on here. And after playing it, uh, I'm glad I did because <laughs> it's it's kind of a, a pricey game. You know, it's a little bit on the expensive side and uh, for, for what it is, uh, I, I don't think it's worth it. So that's a, a study in Emerald. Uh, again, if you're a Martin Wallace fan, you might want to check it out at least. I don't know if I'd recommend buying it. Definitely try before uh, you buy it. See if somebody's got a copy of it. Uh, otherwise, uh, steer clear of this one. Uh, it's kind of overly complicated in, in some aspects. Uh, for me, it wasn't fun at all. And uh, yeah, that was uh, a study in Emerald. Okay. Uh, the next section here, I just want to talk about, uh, some travels that I did, uh, over, well, let's say like mid December, uh, just before Christmas, I had the pleasure of going to Omaha, Nebraska for work for, uh, almost a week. And I stopped out at, uh, two game stores out there to kind of check things out and to see, uh, what they had available and so forth. So the first, uh, game store that I stopped at was a game called, or it was a store called The Game Shop. That's a shop with the E at the end, you know, shoppy, S-H-O-P-P-E. So the first one was The Game Shop, and this store was a, a really big surprise. It's in a strip mall, kind of unassuming. You see the name up above it, and you go in there, and it's one of those stores that are really deep. Uh, so the storefront isn't very wide, but when you go in there, it's really long. And there were... A, ton of games in this place i was so pleasantly surprised the walls on either side uh going probably halfway down the store were just uh, riddled with shelves and tons and tons of games all kinds of games uh new and old uh some games that you don't see very often in a lot of stores uh, they were all there and there were some gondolas in the center of the store that had all sorts of stuff just laid all over them the staff was very attentive, uh, kept coming up to me to make sure everything was okay, if I was finding everything okay. And uh, so that was uh, a really nice experience to be in the store. I didn't wind up uh, walking out of there with anything. It was just one of those weird times of the year where anything that they had, I kind of either had or was holding off on. But uh, And they also had a, a nice little clearance section with some really cheap prices, but again, nothing that I was really interested in. If you're down in the Omaha area, uh, this is a little bit south, south by like southeast of the store, of, of the nut store, uh, of the city. It is something that I definitely recommend that you stop and, and check out. Their selection is fantastic. They've got a lot of tables for playing games. I didn't get a chance to play any games over there, unfortunately. I just didn't have the time for it. But uh, the store was a, a definitely a pleasant surprise and better than the majority of the stores that I've been to uh, in my travels. So definitely a thumbs up for the game shop. Then I also uh, went to a store called Dragon's Lair Comics and Games. This place was uh, not too far from my hotel, and uh, I believe that they've got a couple of locations out there in Omaha. The one that I went into was kind of like southwest of uh, the city, or it was in the city, but the southwest portion of it. And... It's uh, primarily a comic book store with a bunch of games in it. Uh, when I first walked in there, I saw the game shelves uh, that had some 
decent titles. It had uh, a lot of Fantasy Flight stuff and uh, some f- fairly recent titles, which, uh, again, is, is nice to see. And then I kind of was looking around. I'm like, oh, that's it. You know, the, they got the magic cards. They got the, the little uh, figurines and all that good stuff. And then I rounded the corner and I saw that the board games are actually spread all over the place. Uh, it's not one of those stores that's really uh, it's really like a big square or rectangle and you've got board games over here and comic books over there, cards over there. It, everything's kind of intermixed. So as you follow the wall around the store, you'll, you'll find, oh, here's some board games here, here's some there, and so forth. Uh, they had a, a decent selection, probably the best selection that I've ever seen in a comic book store. So I was definitely pleasantly surprised. And uh, unfortunately, I didn't pick anything up at this store either, which is probably good for the wallet uh, that uh, I didn't pick up anything new in Omaha. But the, both stores were a pleasant surprise for me. If you're looking for selection and sheer number of games, definitely in Omaha, the game shop is a place to go. And uh, Dragon's Lair Comics and Games definitely has uh, got a good selection as well and a fantastic selection for a comic book store, at least one that I thought primarily focused on comic books. And they also did have a, a room as well for gaming. There was a bunch of people gaming there as well. Uh, also, the staff there was uh, attentive. There's a guy behind the counter that asked me a couple times if everything was okay. So thumbs up to both of those stores. So uh, that was stores in Omaha. Then uh, 20 shows ago, uh, we did uh, episode 10 on May 15th, 2012, where we talked about a whole bunch of games back then. I'll go through a couple of them uh, and kind of give updates as to what I think about them now and what's happened with them and so forth. So the first one, this is kind of an odd one here, is, was uh, Pop of the Pig. Uh, this was something that we picked up for my son. Uh, I believe he was like probably four at the time. And uh, we played it a bunch of times and... Uh, I got a faulty popper on the pig where if you've ever seen this game, you've got this pig and you kind of like press down, you put a burger in his mouth and you press down on his uh, head a certain amount of times. And then uh, eventually his belly pops open, actually his belt pops and exposes his belly. And then whoever did that loses the game. But, uh, we found that the game kind of wears out after a while and it doesn't like to pop. So it doesn't fully pop. It just kind of makes this noise and it, you know, it was supposed to pop, but it just didn't. So that was kind of disappointing, but you know, whatever. So that was pop the pig. Um, I'd maybe recommend it for kids. Uh, there's a lot of other better games out there, but yeah, pop the pig. Then, uh, we talked about gloom a little bit. Hey, it's a gloom. Always a good time, especially when, you go there and, and you do the um, uh, the storytelling route where you make up stories and, and so forth about what's happening to the characters as you're making bad stuff happen to them or good stuff or whatever. So uh, Gloom, uh, always a good time. Not one that I'd probably ask for on a game night, but if somebody brought it out and wanted to play it, I, I'd probably play it. Okay, Busy Town busy airport this is uh such a cool little fun kids game uh definitely uh have a lot of fun with this one when i play it with my son where this has got a, a funky little 
mechanism to it where you scatter these uh, destinations throughout the house. And it's a lot more fun when you scatter them far from each other. And you you basically have this little airport with a control tower that you have as like the main play area. And you're looking to deliver uh, pieces from destination uh, to with a cardboard, whatever you want to call it, airplane. And what's fun about this thing is you'll, let's say, need to go to a, a certain uh, destination. So now that might be in the bedroom. So <laughs> you go and you fly your airplane. Of course, you got to make the airplane noises and so forth. You got to fly it over over there and then bring back the whatever it was that you need to bring back. It's just fun. It's a different take. Definitely a, a kiddie game. Uh, again, this is one that I probably won't ask my son to play, but if he wants to play it, I'll I'll enjoy it. Uh, Kingdom Kingdom of Solomon. Uh, this is a, a fantastic game by Philip Dubarry and uh, Minion Games, and I I did pick up an an expansion for it recently. I haven't had a chance to play the expansion, but I definitely want to get it played. Uh, you might want to check it out if you enjoy Kingdom of Solomon, which is a really fun game. We also talked about Nefarious. Wow, what happened to this game? This game just kind of like disappeared, dropped off the radar. I was really surprised. I thought with a big name like Donald Vaccarino, ex-Vaccarino, that it would uh, gain a little bit more traction, some staying power, but uh, I guess not. So, uh, yeah, this one's kind of uh, kind of disappeared off the, everyone's radar and... Uh, gone kind of invisible and really hard to find I, I can't say i've seen it in the store in a long 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 time and then uh we talked about uh star wars uh the fantasy flight version with the miniatures uh, it's a fun game lots of ships i still don't mind playing it i kind of stopped buying into the uh, miniatures after the first wave uh they've got some uh they've they've come out with a couple waves now and the Really huge ships are coming out, uh, I believe, this year, and they're really expensive, like upwards of $90. So uh, uh, Star Wars, uh, always a good game. And then they got that Star Trek version, too, Attack Wing. Uh, well, not Fantasy Flight, but uh, it's it's kind of a, a similar type of thing. You might want to check it out if you haven't. And we talked about uh, St. Malo. I, I did pick up this game. I haven't had a chance to play it yet. Uh, it will report back. Uh, what uh, uh, what I think of it in a future episode. So that's uh, 20 shows ago, and uh, had a decent selection in uh, episode 10. So um, uh, moving on, Game Lust. Uh, kind of was thinking about this one now. A lot of games really came out around the holiday season, and I'm having some trouble really thinking about some, some game that I'm really looking forward to just because... I got so much new stuff and just kind of focusing on that stuff right now. Uh, the only one that I can really think of off the top of my head is Lewis and Clark. I've heard so many good things about this game. So, I mean, everybody just praises this game left and right. I mean, that definitely piques my interest. I want to check it out. Unfortunately, it's sold out. I have heard that there is a reprint coming, a second wave. I can't wait for that to come out. And I will definitely be interested in snagging this thing. Uh, when it is available second time around and hopefully it won't sell out as quickly as that first one did. I remember looking at a copy of it and I put it back on the rack and I wish I didn't. But uh, yeah, so uh, that, that's 
kind of it for uh, episode 30. Kind of a recap here on the games that I talked about in this game or in this episode. Uh, first is Archon, Glorian Machination. That's kind of a weird thing to say. Uh, this game uh, I definitely did enjoy. Definitely do recommend. It's like a Waterdeep Plus. The Water Lords of Waterdeep for gamers. Uh, if you like Lords of Waterdeep, definitely look into this one. Double thumbs up on this guy. Then uh, Among the Stars, also from Artipia Games. Uh, this is a really fun card slash tile laying game. I really enjoy this game. I picked up the expansion for it. Uh, the ambassadors i'll report back uh, what i think of the expansion and how it changes up the game but uh, this is a fun game it really makes you feel clever when you put these cards down in a particular order and you're really trying to maximize your points definitely did enjoy this game and i think it's got some uh, decent uh, like replayability to it there uh, this is a game that does have drafting so it doesn't work too well with two players but there is a variant that you can play so you can play with two players but uh for more than two players it's definitely a a cool game then uh, uno attack this was a surprise i'm glad uh we picked this game up it's a fun light little filler that i can play with uh, my family and uh, it's got this uh, cool little card shooter device that makes the game interesting actually it is the most interesting part of the game and it's what makes the game fun uh, otherwise it's kind of plain vanilla uno that everybody's known ever since they were little played straw from aeg uh, this is an okay filler game uh, tends to be kind of so-so in the beginning of the round and then when you get closer to 50 points it becomes a little bit more interesting uh, there are better fillers out there but uh, as far as the game goes it's okay and i kind of wonder if it can be used as an educational thing to help kids with math with the addition and subtraction at least little kids and then a study in emerald uh, the game was kind of harsh i did not enjoy it i definitely don't recommend it to anybody except maybe some hardcore wallace fans and even then try it before you buy it and so uh, that was a study in emerald so that my friends is it for episode 30 uh, thanks for listening And uh, make sure to check out uh, the Guild on BGG. Also, uh, Twitter, TBoardGameLife is is the name on Twitter. Uh, Follow me on Twitter and uh, get new content uh, quicker and sooner. And uh, looking forward to some feedback from everybody. Hopefully you have some feedback on that uh, little discussion that I had at the start of the episode for uh, randomness and, and what you think. Is it really bad? in games or is it just something that is part of life and uh if a game has it and it's implemented okay you know is that a representative of uh is that a better representation of life in a game hey thanks for listening everybody i'm rob and uh, i'll catch you uh, in episode 31 coming soon mm-hmm.